Happy Friday, Story Fam. I hope today's message finds you well, healthy, and whole. Uh, welcome to this week's edition of um, Friday Grace and Truth. I'm Pastor Eric, and a uh, little bit of a point of personal privilege to start today's uh, message. I have been neck deep in a book project uh, for the past few months, and it's crunch time. The book is called Scripture and the Skeptic. And it's uh, 50,000 words about, uh, you know, how cynics and skeptics can uh, relate to and understand the Bible and appreciate the Bible for what it is. And, and in these troubled times, I think that's really important. And one of the questions that has been, I think, bouncing around in culture and one of the questions that's really been on my mind as I've written this book uh, is it has to do with race. Is the Bible racist? Are people who use the Bible racists? Does that say something about the Bible that racists use it? All these kinds of questions in light of the George Floyd killing and, and the, the protests and everything that's happening in our culture. And so, um, yeah, I thought I'd share a story with you today. And by the way, if you wouldn't mind just praying for me this weekend, this, this 50,000 word book of which I've written 48,000 words. <laughs> It's due tomorrow. So I'm to the finish line, baby. So I uh, appreciate your prayers. So yeah, I thought I'd share a story from my past. Um, it was the summer of 1998, and it was uh, after a 15-hour flight. I stood up and gathered my carry-on and stumbled to the front of the aircraft, where flight attendants welcomed me to their homeland with a cheerful Korean hello. Annyeonghaseyo, they said. <laughs> And after receiving a fellowship to study East Asian religions over the summer, I took my first steps ever onto foreign soil at the age of 19. I was excited. I was afraid as I managed to fight my way through the fevered frenzy at baggage claim and through the chaos at customs before I finally exited the airport and I hailed my first ever taxi cab. I opened the door. I gave the Korean driver a friendly nod and I said, Ehwa Changmun Juseo as I had been told to say, or so I thought. Apparently, I got it wrong. And for any of my listeners who don't speak Korean, <laughs> that's how you say, please, window, university. <laughs> so it was a long taxi ride. 90 minutes later, 25,000 South Korean won poorer. I finally arrived at Ewa University. Ewa was founded by a female Methodist missionary in 1886 with only one student on the rolls and it has now grown to become the world's largest women's university. My summer exchange program was co-ed, however, so I was one of only eight men on the campus of nearly 20,000 women. And to make matters even more interesting, <laughs> upon getting to know the other foreign exchange students in the program, I discovered that my fellowship was specifically intended for Korean-American students. And as most of you know, I am not Korean-American. So I quickly got on the phone and I, I called the director of international studies at my college back home and I asked her if I had come to the right place, if I was in the right program. And that's when she decided to let me know that I had been awarded the fellowship only because there were no Korean American students from my school who bothered to apply. And I thought to myself, now you tell me. <laughs> my first day in Seoul, I met someone who changed my life forever. And I first laid eyes on him while taking a walk around the campus. He towered over the entire student body with these giant arms stretched out wide. The look on his face was resolute, but kind. Bearing marks on his hands and his feet, he was at once familiar and foreign to me. I knew I was looking at a statue of Jesus, but it wasn't the same Jesus that I worshipped back home. 
My Jesus was thinner, friendlier looking, and his face looked more like mine. This Jesus looked serious and stout, and his facial features were clearly Asian. I must have stood there staring at Korean Jesus for a solid 20 minutes. I had yet to outgrow the cultural limitations of my very rural East Texas upbringing, and my teenage, underdeveloped frontal cortex was slow to process what I was seeing. Do people here worship a different Jesus? I wondered. Don't they know what Jesus really looked like? That summer I failed half my classes, but the experience shaped me for the better. Every Sunday morning, I would visit a different church, and I witnessed the faith of Korean Christians as they worshipped Jesus with all their hearts. Something I learned that summer has stuck with me ever since. Jesus cannot be contained by any one race or ethnicity or nationality. I've been paying attention to how often Christianity's critics cast the Bible as a tool used by white men to found empires and to beat people into submission in some vile patriarchal conspiracy. No one can deny the historical fact that far too many atrocities have been perpetrated in the name of Christianity, often at the hands of white men with Bibles in their hands. The facts around the Bible's origins, however, simply do not support the narrative that it perpetuates racist patriarchy. The Bible's original geographic, cultural, and literary contexts were anything but monochromatic and masculine. The fact that it was written entirely by men does little to resolve the questions that really matter. What sort of men were they? What kinds of oppression did they have to overcome? What were their views about women and minority groups? How have their writings contributed to the liberation and the equality of historically oppressed people? Yes, the authors of the Bible were probably all male, but gender is the only demographic category that they all shared in common. King Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, he was born into wealth and power. Moses, who wrote most of the first five books of the Bible, he was an at-risk orphan. Paul, author of 13 New Testament letters, appears to have been raised with some privilege, as evidenced by his education level and his Roman citizenship. Peter, on the other hand, was an illiterate fisherman who became the most influential figure in first-generation Christianity. It is particularly remarkable to me that even in a period far less empowering of women than our culture is today, two books, Ruth and Esther, are dedicated entirely to the stories of women of color. And many other female figures played essential, if not heroic, roles in the most important book ever written. Those who accuse the Bible of racism and misogyny often leave out details like these. Why? I think it's because when your narrative matters more than the truth, facts can hurt. And the fact that racists and sexists use the Bible as a tool, it proves nothing about the Bible. It simply proves, yet again, that racists and sexists are tools. So today, I thank God for creating us all so differently. I believe our diversity reflects God's creativity. Thank you all for joining me for today's Friday Grace and Truth. I hope you have a great weekend. I covet your prayers as I finish this book. And I hope to see you Sunday morning online for our worship services at 845, 945, or 1105. I love you all so much. Have a good day.